Talk Real Estate with Sharon McNamara, sponsored by Boston Connect Real Estate Services. Hi, I'm Sharon McNamara, and you are listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable. Let me share a little bit about my background before we get started. I am the broker owner of Boston Connect Real Estate, a boutique real estate firm that is home to over 30 real estate sales and marketing consultants who service home buyers and home sellers throughout Boston, the South Shore, the South Coast, and Cape Cod. Our firm takes pride in assisting our clients in the next chapter of their lives by taking a holistic approach to their real estate endeavors. We believe that every move should be a moving experience. Every week, my real estate team member, Mary Baker, and I, along with the director of Boston Connect Real Estate, Melissa Wallace, provide you with our unique marketing approach to selling homes and share with you our expertise in navigating the home buying process. We like to mix it up sometimes, so not only will you hear our perspective on real estate topics, but you will hear the expert thoughts and opinions of some of our real estate agents at Boston Connect Real Estate and the preferred professionals that we trust. Be part of our roundtable. If you have any questions during the show, please call 781-837-4900. We'd love to talk real estate. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and wherever you listen to podcasts at Talk Real Estate Roundtable. If you would like a one-on-one consultation with me and my team or one of the dedicated agents at Boston Connect Real Estate to discuss your real estate needs, you can connect with us at bostonconnect.com or 781-826-8000. Now, sit back, relax, take good notes, and let's talk real estate. Hello to all my South Shore neighbors. This is Sharon McNamara, and you are, of course, listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable, uh, brought to you and sponsored by Boston Connect Real Estate. We are located on the South Shore, and we are servicing home buyers and home sellers from Boston to Cape Cod, and you heard the intro. Anyways, I'm in a really good mood today. I was going to say, you are really feeling it yeah, today. Yeah, you know what? I, I get weighed in tomorrow, and I'm a little nervous about it, so I'm just trying to, like fake it until you make it. So don't be nervous. You got nothing to be nervous. You haven't eaten chocolate, drank. I know. I haven't had carbs. Yeah. But I haven't had chocolate in two weeks. That's like, I mean, I have, I have chocolate three times a day. I love my chocolate. But anyways, um, I am very excited about our topic this evening. Um, And we have a special guest with us. One of our favorite people in the world. Do you agree? Like I've always said it, but do you agree with me? Oh, 1,000%. Yes, he 1,000%. Is. One of our I talked to Emmanuel on Sunday. I was like, I'm sorry to bother you on a Sunday. Oh, but yeah. he always answers the phone. So, well, it was interesting too. I, I, when we were talking to our client last night and going over all the offers, you got 11 offers on this house in Halifax. And I told him, I had a question just about, you know, some, you know, a VA loan and a yeah. mandatory clause and all these other things. And I said, you know, I don't really feel comfortable. I'd, I'd rather talk to Emmanuel about it. I was like, I'll reach out to him in the morning because it's 745 right now. I know if I reach out to him, he'll answer me and I want him to be with his kids right now. So that's why I didn't reach out to you last night. <laughs> okay. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. My pleasure. So we have Emmanuel Ebot with us and he is um, an attorney and he works at at Styles Law, uh, right uh, in Marshfield. I was going to say right here in Marshfield, but um, his yeah, his main office is out of the Boston area, and he services all over. And um, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about you? Maybe how long you've been in the business, and how we are your favorite real estate agents? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can't say that on you air. can't say that on the air. Yeah. We have a lot of agents Wait. listening. <laughs> oh, all right, that's just us. It's just us three here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just us. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Um, I mean, manually, obviously, I, as, as you guys mentioned, I've, I'm a real estate attorney. I've been practicing almost 15 years now, um, you know, residential transactions, commercial transactions, development. So 
you know, the, the whole array of in, in anything real estate related, um, we're able to assist with. So I re- 15 years. So like you were, I mean, I've been working with Styles office for 20. I would say, I don't know if it's been 20, but like, yeah, well, a very long time. <laughs> a very, very long time. But um, as soon as I started working with Emmanuel, I just, I just love his style. I love his presence. I love his. You haven't been able to get rid of her since, is what you're saying. <laughs> oh no! Do you want to get rid no, of me? I'm kidding. Never. Um, the new vests came in, so I'll be dropping off your vest. Uh, and, yes. Uh, right. Thank and you. Mark's vest. It will be coming. It's very, very light, lighter than I expected, but it will be perfect for the spring. So that's good. Yeah, you'll be styling with like Nancy. Boston Connect swag. Yeah, you're our favorite. And um, you're just so good to all of our agents and everybody that you work with here at Boston Connect Real Estate and especially to all of our clients. And we really do appreciate all that you do. Um, it isn't just BS. I can say that, right? <laughs> yes, you can I, say I, BS. It isn't just BS. It's like, it's the truth. So, um, so tonight we're going to be talking about... Uh, what are we talking about? Title. Yeah, title. Clear title. What does clear title mean? Uh, so if you're listening to us on WATD and you uh, have no idea what we mean, tonight's your night. So you get to sort of hang out with us and Emmanuel, and we're going to discuss what that means. If you have any questions at all, please feel free to call us uh, at the studio, 781-837-4900. And he will, uh, Ben will get you right over to us and we, you can ask us a question or you can ask Emmanuel a question. So we had a good caller last week. So hopefully we'll have some callers this week. Um, we had to bribe a caller last week though, right? We had to do like a Dunkin' Donuts card or something. We did, but I don't know if we ever got his address. So Vinny, if you're listening, yeah. Vinny from Boston. I think his name was Vincent. I don't think oh. you're there yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I thought that was just the thing. <laughs> no, it's Vincent. Until he tells us we can call him Vinny. Very true. Very true. So, um, so Emmanuel, uh, we're very excited to have this conversation. There are some things I just love, not that I love to hear about the things that go wrong, but I like to hear how you fix them. It's a better way of putting it. Um, so why don't we start with um, tonight, what, you know, title insurance, clear title, all mm-hmm. of this. Where do you think we should start? Should we start with like, what is clear title and yeah. what does it mean? And that, I think that's a good place to start because everything goes from there. Um, and just, you know, just to explain, when we're talking about clear title, we're talking about when somebody's buying property or maybe if you're selling property, you might be concerned about it as well, but you want to make sure that there's nothing that impacts your rights in that new home that you're buying. So you you want clear title. And uh, to get a little technical about it, what we do is we do a, a 50 year title search at the registry. So when we refer to clear title, we're talking about that we've done that research and there's nothing in that 50 year window that gives rise to a claim on your title. And if there was something, it's something that we're going to try to resolve before you buy it. So that's when we talk about clear title, that's what we're referring to. A a 50-year search of the registry of deeds that shows no liens or encumbrances so that when you buy it, you buy it with that 50-year buffer. Um, what so, it, oh, yeah. sorry. I would, go, ahead, go ahead. I was no, going to interject say, with the question of yeah. what what is an issue. Give an example. Okay. So the, the most She's common issue. She's just right into it. No, no, no. The most, <laughs> most common issue, especially if you owned your home for a while, has to do with um, undischarged mortgages. I know you're, you're probably going to get into this later, but that's yeah. the most common t- 
title related issue that comes up, whether you, you know, even whether you're selling, buying, or even refinancing, it, it's when you've done a refinance in the past or the previous owner has done a refinance in the past and the bank who received the payoff, so your old lender, got the money and then didn't bother to record a release of the registry. And, you know, you as the homeowner, you you just did your refinance. You're not really concerned about what's at the registry. The bank just got their funds. So they're not. Re- so those things tend to linger and really only come up when someone does an actual search when you're selling or when you're buying. So it's those kind of unresolved issues that are the most prevalent, in my opinion, the most prevalent title issue. And those are, to be frank, not that difficult to fix because it's simply just contacting the mortgage company who still owes who just forgot to record that discharge and asking them to prepare one and send it to you. So, so whose responsibility is it to record it? Is it the attorney's responsibility? Is it the bank's responsibility? Is it the refinancer or buyer? It's a good question. So the short answer is that it's really the bank's responsibility. So the bank that receives the funds and says, yep, you've, you've paid me in full for your mortgage. The, the law in Massachusetts puts the onus on them to do it now. How often do they do it? You know, it, it depends from bank to bank. Um, but when you really, if you're looking to sell your property and that's an issue, it's kind of an all hands on deck at that point. It, it's just, we just want to get it done. But the answer to your question is that it's really the bank's responsibility to get that recorded. So when somebody, I know, I'm sorry, Mel, just with the same thing, when somebody pays off their mortgage and then it's sent to the to the who is it? The mortgagee? Oh, I forget all those. That was in a class that I took. I think it was a test I took. I think it would be the mortgagee. Mortgagee, right? Yeah. Is it yes. the mortgagee? Yeah. So they get that in the mail. And I know a lot of times people just like throw it in their safe and they're like, yay. Is it their responsibility yes. at that point? That's And that's where it gets a little murky because the law kind of gives the banks different options as to how to do it. They can either send it to the registry or they can send it to the homeowner. And, and I've, I've read a lot of these letters that they sent to the homeowner. It's not always clear that they're giving good instructions to the homeowner that you can't just put this in your safe. You actually have to take it down to the registry, pay the, I think it's now $105 recording fee and okay. file it to close the process out. So that's, so it's, it, it, it's a little murky. Um, so people, again, no fault of their own. They think that they've done what they needed to do because they have this letter. They don't know that there's actually an extra step that they have to do to make sure it's not an issue when they're the next time they want to refinance the next time they want to sell. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I know I'm jumping ahead um, with the mortgage um, discharge, but uh, it to me, after you said that, it sort of makes sense now that like, um, you know, the, the discharge wouldn't be recorded because possibly if a bank went under, they wouldn't send that letter. Um, so therefore, yes. it wouldn't get recorded because it wasn't sent. Yeah, Melissa, I think you're too young to remember. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. She saw the movie. <laughs> she <said> the movie. <laughs> but what you just described um, in in the mid 2000s, I would say, uh, kind of when I got started, there were a lot of banks that were operating back then that are just no longer here. So if you were one of those unfortunate people who got a loan or paid off a loan from one of those banks that we won't name on here, mm-hmm. um, that didn't do what they were supposed to do when it starts a mortgage, that's when it actually becomes difficult because who's going to give it to you? That entity doesn't exist. Again, there's there's um, we have some mechanisms in the law that allow us to address those, but those tend to be 
lengthier and costlier. So uh, that, that, that's actually a good good. In thing that case, um, you know, where where what proof do you have that you did pay it off? If if that bank doesn't exist anymore. So those, I'm sorry if I'm being naive. I guess no. <laughs> I was alive, but I wasn't doing that. <laughs> so you're actually yeah, those are great questions because that's what we ask the homeowners. So when they come to us, you know, one of your clients comes to us, we're selling their property and this comes up five days before we close. There's this mortgage from 2005 that still shows an outstanding. And obviously the clients are saying, well, no, we, we paid this off. You know, it's, it's, it's done. So we then start to say, okay, well, do you have um, a, a discharge letter? Do you have a paid in full letter? Do you, do you have some proof that we can show this buyer or the buyer attorney that, this really isn't an outstanding mortgage here, but it's just a clerical issue that we have to resolve at the registry. So it's those kinds of things that we try to get. And if again, if we can't, we do have a mechanism for that in the law to address it, but it is lengthy. It's certainly not resolved in five days before closing mm-hmm. and it's costly. We can, um, you know, an action to quiet title, do an attorney discharge, but those, again, those are lengthy and costly processes. So it's important that when you do do a refinance and when you sell and you do get these discharge letters, read the letters and make sure that they're not putting the onus on you to file these at the registry. And if you have any questions, you can always just call the attorney who did the closing or just give us a call or give you guys a call and we can certainly help. So um, Melissa is our host, but every time we have a guest, I always sort of like <laughs> take over. So there was a couple of things that you said in there that I just wanted to bring up. One in, uh, of the two, I hope I remember both, but one of them is, I know you didn't want to give the name of the bank, but I will. Countrywide was one of them, right? <laughs> Wasn't it Countrywide? Countrywide, Washington yeah. Mutual. Yeah. Anytime we see those, we, we, we I mean, I get to yeah. And I I just think it's really important for me to say that on the air for our listeners. Uh, We also have our Facebook listeners as well. Hello, Facebook friends. Um, I think it's important because if you are thinking about selling your home, because think about the age when that those happened, those people are probably, you know, people stay in their house about 10 years. So guess what? We're coming upon those people that are going to be selling they should really look in their safe and see if they have any paperwork in there now. It's better to know about that beforehand than a week before closing, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. So one of the things that we do at our office is as soon as we retain a client, we do a quick title search. We have we have um, a litany of title examiners that we work with pretty quickly. So we try to find these things well, well, well before closing so that oh, if something good. does come up, we still have a good you know, 45 days, 60 days before the closing to address these issues so that we're not stuck with an issue that comes up five days before closing that needs to be addressed. So, but you're right. If you're looking to sell your property, it's, you know, part of the the, uh, preparation should be looking through your old documents to see, to make sure that any mortgages that you had in the past, you have some proof that you paid them off. at some point. And then again, it may, it may be unnecessary, but it's always good to have those handy. So if it does come up, we have, we can, we know where to start. Yeah. I can just picture it right now in the, in the office and, you know, Emmanuel, hears Denise scream and he's like, Oh, another countrywide. <laughs> so glad you did that pre-check. Yes. So, um, yes, yes. Um, no, that, that was actually my second question is when do you do the title search and why are we finding out these things a week before closing? So the typical, um, the, the the typical procedure for a closing is that the buyer attorney actually or the bank attorney actually does the title search. 
So in, in, I don't know how other offices do it, but if you on the seller side are not checking the title yourself, you have to rely on the timing of the bank attorney. They usually don't do that until they know the loan's approved. So it's closer to closing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do when we represent a seller is that we don't want to wait that long. Mm-hmm. We want to know early, and which is why we, again, it's... it's well, that's it's, an uh, advantage. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's certainly an added, added huge. Uh, step, but we think it's important enough to address these issues early because, mm. again, invariably, it's really hard to clear a title issue, no matter how simple or difficult, in five days. It's just... And then, you know, you end up having to talk about holding funds back and, close, you know, it's just not fun. So we've we, we've kind of made that part of our practice to address these things early um, and it's worked out. Yeah. And that's important, too, because you have people moving out of state and you have maybe somebody that's, you know, maybe they, you know, discharged one of their like smaller loans and they have a different loan. But if they're buying another property, so it gets pretty crazy at the end. But Mary, that is actually something that we should add to our questionnaire that we send out the form that we send out to our clients. Like, have you ever refinanced? Do you have any yeah loans that you've paid off? Any mortgages you've paid off? You know, do you have the discharge, blah, 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 or whatever? Um, Those are good questions. Mel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where are we next? I don't know. I missed the first part of the the, uh, conversation because I was getting us set up for Facebook. So, so we're done with title insurance. No, 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 no. Okay. We don't, sorry. My first question was, what is clear title? So we did that. Okay. All right. So we did, uh, we did clear title. So now now are we moving on? Yeah, now we'll move on to title. So, um, so uh, Emmanuel, tell us what is title insurance for somebody who, who doesn't know, do you, are you required to get it? What, like, what is it? What's the importance of it? So it's good that we started with clear title because I mentioned when we're talking about clear title, somebody has clear title to property. It's a 50 year window looking back. So, you know, obviously living in Massachusetts, we have, you know, titles to property that go back hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. So anything before that 50 year period, we we don't even look at when we're doing a title search for a home that you're buying. And just because we say you have clear title in that 50 years doesn't mean that there's not something that could impact your title from outside that window or something that appears in the records that we would have no way of knowing. So what title insurance does is it essentially insures over any type of claim to your title from before you owned it. So it goes back all the way to, you know, when the pilgrims showed up. Uh-huh. If anything comes up claiming your title, they would insure over. So, you know, just like homeowners insurance insures over a lightning strike or a fire, a flood insurance and shows over fly. This is similar type of insurance, but it has to do with title claims to your a property that you own. Okay. So I also know that when we're, and I don't know if this is one of your questions, but when we see it's the lender always has title insurance. So can you explain the difference between the lender title insurance and then the lender insurance that you can provide um, the sellers? I mean, the buyers. The buyers, sure. So it's, there's a, uh, you know, and, and I'm sure people who have bought before um, are always questioning, well, why am I paying for two insurances? I just want, you know, let me get the lenders. So the, the, the insurance is, it's essentially insuring the same risk, but it's just two different insureds. So the lender's policy, the lender is the insured party. And that policy only comes to effect when the lender becomes the owner, and that's through foreclosure. So the lender's policy, even though you're required to get it for every transaction, it rarely ever, I shouldn't say rarely, but it really only comes to place when the lender is asserting ownership rights on the property. 
it doesn't protect you as the owner since you are not listed as the insured on that policy. You have to get your own policy as a homeowner to ensure your own title to the property. So the lender always requires that you get their policy. The owner's portion is, is optional. I mean, because it's up to you to determine whether you want to insure that risk or not. So there's, they're never going to require that you get it. But, you know, as, as I mean, having been through it so many times and knowing that we only do a 50 year search for title lenders and that, you know, when you think about it, that's, that's 1970. So anything before 1970, we don't, we're not even looking at. So we always recommend getting it just in case things do come up. And invariably, again, we're the attorneys, we see all of these issues that come up. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to imagine somebody buying a piece of property without getting it. Just, mm-hmm. just knowing, knowing what can happen. What kind of gig is that though? I'm going to lend you money and then I'm going to make you pay for my insurance. <laughs> it's Smart. A good gig. Yeah. Seriously. It's a good one. Yeah. How did they figure that out? Yeah. Um, so go ahead. Did you have a question? No, I just wanted to know if anybody had clients that had to use it. Have oh, you guys had any clients? Oh, Obviously, Emmanuel, you yes. probably see a lot of people having to use it just all from your time. line of work. But. All the time. To, to be frank, I actually just had one, and this was a very, very important one. Uh, not, not important one, but it was a clear uh, issue where we just, I mean, this is a, 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 such an on-point reason why you would want to get title insurance. So this, I think this happened last summer because we were in the middle of the pandemic. So my a client, a recurring client, who bought a piece of property cash from a trust. So the seller owned the property in a trust. So we went through our normal due diligence, um, you know, checks to make sure that the trustees were the people who had the right to sell, uh, made sure that the they had the power to sell, uh, made sure that everything was notarized. So we, we did all the due diligence that we, we, we typically do when we're, we're investigating title held in a trust. Our client bought it paid cash and I had the conversation I had with every client where I explained to him why he needed to get title insurance and he did, he got it. Two months later, he is served with a complaint from a uh, beneficiary, a family member who was alleging that the sale shouldn't take place because they were notified and there was collusion between the buyer and the seller. All these things. So he calls me late at night you know, just like Sharon said, I pick up the phone. <laughs> I'm holding back. <laughs> in a panic, he called me in a panic and said, "I just got served. I, I you know, you know, they're they're saying that I I don't own the property anymore." So I said, "You know, send it to me. Let me take a look, and I'll call you back." So I read the complaint, and I was able to call him back and explain to him, "Like, yeah, they're making a claim on your title. They're saying you don't own this property, even though you bought it, or you shouldn't be entitled to it." Fortunately you bought title insurance. So this is one of the things that they're going to cover. So, you know, pour a glass of wine, relax, Mm -hmm. you know, watch some, you know, TLC or something in the morning, (laughs) we'll call the title insurance company, explain what happened, and then they'll take it from there. Mm -hmm. Now, had he not had title insurance, again, this is new through no fault of his own. He didn't know these people. Mm -hmm. If he didn't have title insurance and you're named in a lawsuit, you, you have to defend yourself in court. You have to hire a lawyer, oh, a litigator to go. Crazy. And as we all know, lit- you know, you're not getting, you're not retaining. You know how those attorneys are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's going to be a retainer at least, you know, five yeah. to 10,000. You know, so those are costs, real costs that he would have had to incur right away had he not had talent insurance. And now the talent insurance company hired a lawyer for him and they're defending his claim in court. And he's 
doesn't it's like in the background he doesn't have to worry about it so that's a real tangible uh issue that came up you know again just last summer that had he not had it i think he'd be in a world of hurt even though he did nothing wrong and even though he's probably will get he would have won that lawsuit but just tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees would have would have in stress uh, i mean let's let's put a value on stress i mean that that would just you know and then you wouldn't want to triple damages yeah and then you wouldn't want to do any improvements in your house you wouldn't like you know what i mean you wouldn't want to do anything while you were there but let me ask you this what is i know you can't give a range but in his situation i don't know how much the house cost but like how much did that policy cost him that just saved him thousands and thousands of dollars and hours of time so um the, 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 the insurance rates are set by the title insurance companies. And I would say if you're buying a home for 500,000, 600,000, your owner's insurance policy is likely to be 12, $1,200 to $1,500. Mm. And the way these are set up, they're upfront costs. So you pay it when you buy the property and then you, you have the policy for as long as you own the property. There's no annual premiums or it's just an upfront cost. And then you, you've, you've, you have that protection. So for for my client, the fifteen hundred dollar policy that he bought within two months saved him at least five to ten thousand just in legal fees. Not to think about what happens if he actually loses the case, mm-hmm. in which case the, the Italian insurance company would refund the money that he paid for it. So um, for, again, again, we view this like your homeowners insurance policy. You don't think your your house is going to burn down. You don't think you're going to hit the lightning, but. When it does, it's typically catastrophic. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of why we recommend these on all. Oh, all I like that. Yeah, I like the way you said that. Well, we have a caller. Right? Yeah, we do have a caller, Ben. I don't know um, what our caller's name is, but we have a listener here in Pembroke on the phone. They want a uh, want to share a story. Um, so, hello, caller. What, what's your name? <laughs> uh, Sharon was just commenting. Um, gave the name of two mortgage companies that had held back on discharging mortgages, and I just wanted to chime in with the third name. Perfect. Can I tell you, can we ask what your name is? Um, Make up one. Make up one. You can make up one. Denise. I I don't recognize your name. It's Sally. Okay, we have Sally from Pembroke. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Sally, tell Um, us your story. So um, we had uh, a mortgage with Carrington Mortgage Company, and then, of course, they sold it 500 times. But uh, we were trying to refinance, and the attorney discovered that the mortgage from Carrington had never been discharged. And um, it was a, a matter of, uh, we settled um, some, you know, there was some discrepancy with what we owed and, and it, it was really messy. But the point is Carrington, I wanted to add Carrington's name to the list and the whole process, it's been going on for, I don't know, four months or so. We just uh, got the discharge note um, within the past week. And um, had an attorney that was helping us, and um, we even had to contact the attorney general's office wow. to um, to get Carrington to take any action. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I guess my message is: be careful. Yeah. You know. Um, now, did you have title insurance, Sally? <laughs> um, I believe we do. Okay. I uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember. Okay. Um, yeah. So, Emmanuel, is that one of the banks that you had heard of as well? So what Sally is describing is is a common theme, because not only are we talking about the big banks, you know, the Washington Mutual, but as if you remember, again, maybe not Melissa, if you remember, <laughs> there were a lot of mortgage companies at the time just mm-hmm. doing these loans as well. And most of those are no longer there. So if like Sally 
it's the mortgage company that held it, then you were really kind of in a bind because even the, you know, trying to track down signers are just, they're, they're, they're gone. Um, so the, those are really difficult. And I mentioned the fact that you have to contact the attorney general. There, there's a procedure to go about getting these released, but it's time consuming and it's costly. And um, so yeah. I, I know you mentioned Denise, she's our discharge tracking wizard at our office. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? so, she's actually listening Sally, or she's watching she's us actually, on Facebook. There you go. So, <laughs> so Sally, if you, if you do need any help, Denise, I'm sure will be thrilled to, to assist. Yeah. She's the best Thank of the you. best. And yeah. Sally, I don't know who you are, but um, feel free anytime that any of that type of stuff comes up into all of our listeners and people who do know us, feel free to call us. I mean, we feel like we are the resource who knows just about everybody. Absolutely. I mean, we just helped somebody with mold and they got a, you know some quotes and it ended up paying $1,500, not $6,000. So, uh, but we know the best of the best in the industry. So um, we can, you know, we're happy to refer you to the people that we know and trust. So uh, thank you so much, Sally, for calling. Did you have any other questions while you have the mic? No, that's it for tonight. All (laughs) right, Sally. And I'm dying to find out who you are. So (laughs) can you you text me 781 DM us? It's 781294. What's that? I promise I'll let you know. Okay, perfect. All right. You can can text me 781-294-4848. I want to know who you are. I won't say it on the air. I promise. We'll say it on the air. Let me just write that down. 781-294-4848. All right. Yeah. And if your situation right. doesn't get fit, fit, fixed up there, uh, just give me a buzz and I'm happy to introduce you to Emmanuel. Okay. We got the discharge letter. So oh, you did get perfect. it. Okay, great. Perfect. We're going to be all set. That's good news. Perfect. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Have a good day. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Sally. Um, One of the questions when Sally was talking, I did have a question, but I forgot what it was. So go ahead. (laughs) Um, Sorry. This might or might not relate to what we're talking about, but um, just talking about like some of these um, bank, like smaller banks that you might not have heard of. I feel like that's coming up right now because when, you know, the last couple of houses that, you know, Sharon and Mary have put on the market and gotten multiple offers on, you know, I sort of helped them go through those offers. And, and a lot of the times, like we're now we're looking at everything and being like, not just we haven't heard of these agents, but we haven't heard of some of these banks or these lenders. So we almost have to like sort of go around and be like, has anyone heard Mm -hmm. of these banks? Mm -hmm. Like, has anyone worked with this person or anything like that? Yeah. You know? Are you seeing that more and more often too? Like not familiar with the banks? Well, and that's, you know, and you guys are obviously ahead of the game. Usually when an offer comes in, you've already done the due diligence, poking and prodding on the banks, but you know, we're kind of a, just with everything, we're kind of a, a global world. Everything is online. So there, mm. we're seeing a, a number of, I don't want to say online lenders, but not Massachusetts based lenders that people are using because they're, they're trying to get the lowest, lowest rate, which there's nothing wrong with that, but mm-hmm. um, it just, you know, requires um, both the buyer and the seller, again, to do your due diligence on the lender make sure they're familiar with the rules and the timing uh, requirements here in Massachusetts for closing, you know, closing in Massachusetts is different than closing California or mm-hmm. in Florida or in Oklahoma. So it's, it's doing your, doing your homework early to, to make sure that whatever lender you pick is, is able to close within the 45 days that you're, that you need. 
So. Yeah, and we've been, um, we do a really good job here, our team, right? Uh, sort of educating our clients on timing. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what do we do a good job on? Everything. So I think it's, you know, true. I looked at something and I was like, oh, that's not going to happen. So um, just sort of being out there and proactive with yeah, that. Yeah, being unrealistic um, about things. Again, I just want to let all of our WATD listeners know that you are listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable, sponsored by Boston Connect Real Estate. And we have Sharon McMara, Mary Baker, uh, team here along with our one and only Melissa Wallace, who is our host and the producer of our show. If you have any questions for us, we'd love to hear them. 781-837-4900. Don't be bashful. Look at Sally from Pembroke just called. (laughs) (laughs) You don't even have to give us your real name. You just have to text me it afterwards. So, And to our Facebook listeners, if you have any questions, uh, just type it away. And Melissa is looking at that as well. Yeah. So we have probably about 15, 14 minutes left in the show. So um, is there anything else that we should talk about with title insurance, Mary? Um, I was only, the only thing that I was going to say is I don't want to skip across clear title real quick um, about can you sell a property that doesn't have clear title? Because we see it a lot in offers where buyers agents are putting, you know, subject to the property having clear and marketable title. Obviously, that's just a little line in there that says, you know, we understand that we're not going to possess this property with encumbrances and yada, yada, yada. We'll get into that. But so can a property technically be sold if it does not have clear title? So technically, the answer is yes, because a buyer can, I mean, in a perfect world, a buyer can decide to accept um, a property in whatever condition that it's in. So if there is a title defect, technically a buyer can say, you know what, I'll, I'll still buy it and then I will make sure to clear this title defect before. Now, as a practical matter, that just doesn't happen, right? Because most buyers, again, most buyers are getting financing from a bank. And one of the things that the bank's going to require on every loan is that there be clear title. Because again, they they want their own loan policy to insure over defects if they end up becoming the owner through foreclosure. So gotcha. uh, the technical answer is yes, but as a practical matter, it, it's just not, you don't see it. Um, cash transactions are different, but yeah, not that's a, for most transactions, yeah. I was going to say that might be the only scenario that I could imagine. Maybe somebody's like, oh, I'm going to buy cash and I don't even want an attorney involved. I'm just going to sign purchase yeah. and sale and show up at closing. Here's a here's a yeah. suitcase. Which, actually, by the way, folks, is a bad idea. So. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Um, what was that? the other question I had? And we do have another. Somebody texted me. They must have heard my me given my cell phone number there. So I do have a question that someone texted me. But I was also wondering when we were talking about refinancing. So if you get um, title insurance and you pay that pre whatever that is uh, fifteen hundred to yeah. let's say two thousand dollars, whatever it is, based on the uh, price of the house, and then you decide to refinance, does mm-hmm. it continue on with that, or do you have to get it again? That's actually a good question. Well, thank so, you. <laughs> I, I really don't know the answer. <laughs> no, that's a good question because that's that that's a question that we actually get at refinances. So the owner's policy, the policy that you get as a homeowner, you don't ever have to pay that again. That okay. is good as long as you own the property. Um, but when you're refinancing, technically you're getting a new loan. So that new lender is going to also require you to get a new lender's policy. Awesome. Don't ask me. You're going to ask me why they can't just use the old one? Definitely. I don't know. If it's <laughs> a, well, it's because the bank wants to make money. It might be That's a different correct. bank. So 
It's well, different bank, yeah, but why they can't just, but it's, it's anytime you should be a transferable policy. <laughs> it's because but, they're making more money. Exactly. Yes. That's quite simple. Yes. Um, let's see, can a uh, seller use the proceeds uh, of their sale to cover the closing costs? Well, I also have one from Bill too, so. I was just letting you look at it. Well, <laughs> no, you're going to talk to it out loud. <laughs> All right, well, do, here, ask that question. Okay, we have a, a question. Can a seller use the proceeds of their sale to cover closing costs? They can, um, and by closing costs, you mean like any of these title clearing issues, I'm presuming? Um, the answer is yes. So, uh, you know, the biggest title issue for most transactions is really the seller's mortgage that they have on the property. So if you're selling your home for 600,000 and you owe 400,000, that $400,000 mortgage is a lien on the property that needs to be addressed and, you know, all things equal, technically, you would have had to pay that off and bring a discharge to closing for that in order for a buyer to get clear title. But just the way we do transactions here in Massachusetts, we allow a seller to use their proceeds at the closing to pay that lien. So if there were other types of liens, you know, a mechanics lien, if, you know, if a contractor had a dispute for work that they had done um, or, you know, the, the, the seller didn't had a credit card debt that they were sued and now there's a judgment all of those things if the seller doesn't have the liquid funds to clear them at closing they can be deducted from their proceeds at closing and that's done all the time perfect uh so this question we're just going to overload you with questions now yeah i know i feel like this is like bring it yeah well that one where they go up the pyramid there and like the, the oh, brilliant yeah. guys at the top are like we're to the top <laughs> yeah. um, it says, hello, can you explain what declaration of homestead is? Thank you, Bill Baseball from Holbrook. He put a baseball there. I don't know if he's a baseball player. I don't know. But anyways, it's that's his question. <laughs> that's a hint of who he may be. Well, Bill, so a homestead declaration, a homestead is a protection um, from credit. It's a creditor uh, protection. So, um, and unlike title insurance, it's actually looking forward. So once you buy a home, and you're going to use the home as a primary residence, mm -hmm. the homestead protects um, any judgment or any creditor from attaching your house to satisfy judgment. So, for example, you're driving down the road, um, you get into a car accident, somebody gets hurt, they sue you and they win a million-dollar judgment. So the first thing any uh, plaintiff's attorney is looking for, they're looking for any assets that you have. And for most people, that's your home, right? Um, the homestead declaration puts a shield around your home and prevents them from attaching that, you know, filing a lien on your home mm -hmm. to satisfy that judgment up to 500,000. And that protection only applies to a primary resident. So if you have a rental, it doesn't apply. Uh, and if you move out and move to or into, so it's only your primary residence and that's filed at the registry of deeds, um, usually when you buy the property. And it's, it's a very inexpensive type of insurance. We you know, even when people say they don't want it, we, we kind of force them to get it because it, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense not to have it on your primary residence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys just draft and show up and say, oh, yeah. I'm here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, yeah. Denise did comment on our Facebook Live and said, thank goodness for title insurance. <laughs> <laughs> From her lips to God's ears. Yeah, yeah, but we do have another question for you, Emmanuel, who's someone who, uh, who texted Sharon. Um, they are listening to the show and they want to know, um, can you talk about lumber escalation clauses being added to purchase and sales in a new home to be built are you seeing any of these interesting yeah, i like that question. that's a good question i don't know who it is though because my contacts somebody. are all messed up so, so the, that's 
another good question. And uh, my colleague, Laura Adams, is actually um, it, it has, is working on something like that right now. So it's, you know, you see these types of provisions in, you know, unusual markets where there's uncertainty. Um, so for the folks out there, what, what this is referring to is that there is a, presumably there is a purchase contract where the seller is a builder of some sort, where he's going to construct the home. And obviously lumber, the, the cost of lumber is a big determining factor as to how much that home is going to cost that builder to build. Mm-hmm. And, as, you know, and if, if the home is not going to be built for nine months and you set a purchase price today, again, we're just going to use round numbers, 500000 If the price of lumber goes up triple, mm-hmm. then that builder is really losing money on that transaction. So, you know, in years past, you know, there might have been, you know, some fluctuation in the price of lumber, but nothing like we're seeing now. So it's, it's, these are the kind of things that are starting to creep into contracts where a seller, a, a builder is looking to kind of hedge against the, just the fluctuation of the lumber. So if the prices of lumber quadruple in six months, mm-hmm. they want the buyer to basically pay that increase. So it's, again, it's not common. It's, it's certainly something that we're seeing because it's, we're in kind of a unique market with the tightening of the lumber market. Um, but it's certainly something that you want your attorney, if you're buying and if you're building, you want your attorneys to kind of talk through because there's a lot of moving parts there. But it's, it's certainly something that I think we're going to see more and more. And one of the things too is, first of all, can we book you for next week as well? Because we didn't even get to the fun things, like what the problems are, and we're done in six (laughs) minutes. So um, two questions here is, we know for fact that that's true. So we have a new uh, construction subdivision, and I have reached out to our builder uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said it's costing him like over $34,000 more for lumber right now to build the same house. So that's that's huge. That's a lot of money. So let me ask you this question. What if that escalation clause is not put in there that the contractor has the right to increase the price if the lumber goes up? And then at what point does it, when can the builder walk away? Because that's, I'd be more nervous about that too, because I wouldn't build a house if I was going to lose money. Why would you? Well, yeah. So the way most of these contracts are written, there really isn't an out. There's no, there's no, uh, for the builder, there's no kind of escape clause if you're losing money on that transaction. Once you lock in the price, you've, you're, you're locked in. And that's kind of why, again, builders who are seeing just the fluctuation not, and the uncertainty, we, you know, you don't know what it's going to be in six months. They, they, they don't want to be boxed in like you, like your clients are talking about. So had, if that is not in there, and the price skyrockets for lumber, they still have to deliver the price, the property to the buyer at the price that was agreed to. There's, there's no get out of it. And if they don't, then they're in breach of contract. Yeah. So and, that, and that's, that, yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense by, you know, contractually makes 100%, you know, it makes sense to me. We're very fortunate with the contractors that we work with. I mean, they're established and, you know, I, they would continue to build, but what about these, you know, smaller contractors that you see? And let's face it, Mark and I, when we first got engaged, we gave a builder $13,000, everything we had. And by we, I mean him and he left and we, we had nothing other than a wedding that we were paying for in two months. So, um, we got nothing. We got nothing mm-hmm. back. So 
that I think people should be very careful when they are getting into these contracts with new construction to really do your due diligence on who is the builder and who are you, so to speak, getting in bed with. Can I say that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> absolutely right. And that's, and, you know, and sometimes it's not even that the builder just, I mean, they just can't afford to finish it. So it's not even a scenario that uh, they run away with your money. It's that just because of the cost of everything, they just think it can't perform. So that's, it's important to have those conversations now and, and come up with some solution that works for both parties so that when they do close, and you know, at, at least you've, you know, the builder is getting, getting return on the investment and the buyer gets a home that they're happy with. Mm-hmm. So the person that sent that is a builder. I'm not going to say his name right now, but he just, he did send me a message and said that he is a builder. So um, I know that you are listening to this show. So my suggestion to you is that you can get in touch with a manual tomorrow um, if you don't have your own attorney and discuss this with them because it seems like they're already ahead of the curve and already uh, Laura in their office is working on this uh, type of project right now. So mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you're protecting yourself as a builder um, as well. We only have a couple minutes left. I'm serious. Like, can you come back sometime? Like, when can you come back? Because Tell I want to hear the fun stuff. <laughs> the fun stuff, okay. <laughs> like, what goes wrong? I want to hear the what oh, goes wrong. we want to hear the horror stories? Yeah, I want to hear the what goes wrongs. Oh, um, yeah. It's, um, and maybe I'll bring Denise for that one because she's yeah. usually... What are you doing next week? Next wink, week, wink. Denise, if you're listening, we want you guys back next week so we can continue on the same topic. So, no uh, pressure. Emmanuel, let us know air. if you can do that. That would be great. I think our listeners would enjoy it too. This is the most questions we've gotten. Go ahead, Mel. Um, I was just going to let Emmanuel uh, let everybody know how they can get in touch with him. Yeah, I mean, you can call us at 781 319 Let me do that again. Mm-hmm. Let me do it. My email address eebot at uh, styles-law.com or you can find us right there on Plain Street 892 Plain Street in Marshfield. So um, we're we're always available. Yes. And if you have a high time and didn't catch any of that, you can always reach us at 781-826-8000. That's our office here at Boston Connect. We're happy to send you over to them um, with bells on. So with bells on. on. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Emmanuel, for joining us tonight. And I hope you join us next week, too. Yes, and Denise. Denise, Denise. Thanks for having us. And Denise, too. Bye, Bye. Bye, Bye. Thank you.